The reading this morning is Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me known, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. My soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, City Church. So good to be with you this morning. As you take a seat, if you have a copy of God's word, we are going to be in Joshua again, chapter 2. So Joshua chapter 2. It's a pleasure to worship with you again this morning. Uh, So uh, as we are now in week three of our series in the book of Joshua, uh, in chapter one, just as a recap, what we saw uh, was that Joshua uh, is the new leader of God's people. Moses has died. Uh, Joshua has been commissioned by God to lead Israel into the promised land, into this land of Canaan, the long-promised land that God had told his people that they would inherit. Uh, So last week, we saw that uh, united Israel, all 12 tribes were on the same page. We talked about unity. They said that they would go anywhere. They would do anything that God had commanded them to do through Joshua. They commit to obeying Joshua, they, they know the blessing and success will come from their obedience. It's going to be centered on their obedience. It's also going to be centered on them being strong and courageous. In fact, we, we saw that phrase four different times in chapter one alone of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous to carefully do all according to God's law. In fact, Uh, The last words of chapter 1 are, only be strong and courageous. We saw that last week. That's the people of God repeating the words of God back to their leader, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And now, as we turn to chapter 2, we will find someone surprising actually being the first one in the book of Joshua to be strong and courageous. Someone that we would least likely expect to say this of. We would anticipate, if we just kind of zoom out a little bit and think about uh, where we are uh, so far. We're only one chapter in. We're about to get to chapter two today. But if you have been with us the past couple of weeks, what would make sense 
if we were writing the story, is that we have chapter one, the people of God, right on the banks of the Jordan, prepared to go over. And we would think that this chapter would be them going over, right? This would make sense. They've been told to go. And so this chapter, it seems like that would be exactly what is going to happen. And that would make sense to us Uh, But chapter 2 is going to, at first, seem to be a bit of a non sequitur. It's going to seem to be an interruption in the story. Because what we're going to get this morning is the story of a Canaanite prostitute, a harlot, a Gentile, a Gentile woman, a true outsider in almost every imaginable way we can think. If, if chapter 2 doesn't exist, we could, we could easily go from chapter 1 to chapter 3. We're going to look at chapter 3 next week. And so just casually we could see why doesn't the story just go from 1 to 3? Why is this story in our Bible? Why is this story in the book of Joshua? Friends, thank goodness this story is in our Bible the, the most remarkable thing has happened in this story that we will read today. God, Yahweh, the Lord, has set his redeeming love upon a sinner whose name is Rahab. She is now one of his own. And that is profoundly good news for you and for me. That's profoundly good news for us. If, if you have taken one of the handouts that Zane was talking about, and on the back, uh, once again, we have a space for you to take notes this morning. And on the back, you'll see the main idea. I just want to let you know what our main idea is this morning of this message. It is this. The Lord deals kindly and faithfully with his own. The Lord deals kindly and faithfully with his own. Let me pray. And then we will begin to read Joshua chapter 2. Father, we are so grateful that your word uh, is a light for our path, that it is so encouraging for us, and that we know that there is more mercy and grace in you than there is sin in us. And so thank you. Thank you, Father, that you have sent your son. You've sent your son to die on a cross to cover our sins. And so may we, as we read the story, as we think about what is going on in this moment in your redemptive history and what it means for us today, may we be so encouraged, may be overwhelmed with gratitude that you have set your love upon us, that you deal with your people kindly and faithfully. And we see that so beautifully on the cross, the cross of Christ. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's begin uh, reading Joshua uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it says this, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, 
True, the men came to me, but I do not, or I did not know where they come from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Let's stop there. Uh, Just to kind of uh, summarize what we've read already, the first mission uh, that Joshua sends his people on is a spy mission, okay? Uh, Sends two spies into the land and especially the city of Jericho, which is what they're focusing on in this chapter. Uh, Joshua himself would would be fairly familiar with this uh, endeavor of spying on the land of Canaan. If you read in the book of Numbers, uh, we read about a spy mission there. Uh, and, and Joshua was actually a part of that. And so in a similar way, he's sending two over uh, to get a read of what's going on in the land, especially in Jericho. And what we read is that these spies, there's two of them, they went into the house of a prostitute. Now, when we think house, uh, this was probably more like a hostel uh, that, that would probably uh, lodge or accommodate several people. Now, there's no escaping the fact that Rahab is a prostitute. Uh, so this is not, as some commentators might want to argue, that she's an innkeeper or there's something a little bit more benign going on. She is, she is a harlot. She is a prostitute. And the men have come from Israel more than likely uh, because they knew that this, were a, were, uh, this was a place where a lot of men would gather and they could get intel. They would be able to understand maybe a little bit uh, what's going on in the land of Canaan. But as we read, their, their cover is blown. Uh, so almost immediately, it would seem that they uh, are known in the land. And so the king of Jericho uh, sends after Rahab so that she would give the men up because they've been reported to go into her house. And I want us to look really carefully at verse 4 and think about something. Look at verse 4. It begins with, the woman had taken. Some translations would say the, women, the woman took. The woman took. That's the beginning of that sentence. The word for took there is the same Hebrew word that we see back in Genesis 3. When the woman took the fruit and ate. And so you can imagine that Rahab's story contains a lot of taking. You can imagine that she took men all the time. And men took her. And so when we read in verse 4, the woman took the men, we're surprised at what happens next. We know we would expect the next words to read, she took the men to sleep with them. But instead, it says she took the men and, and hid them. She took the men and hid them. You see what's happening, that something incredible has transpired even in this moment in God's redemptive history because the place of shame and stain and sadness becomes a place of salvation. Now, why would she do this? Why would this Gentile Canaanite prostitute do this? Let's keep reading, beginning in verse 8. 
Before the men lay down, she came to them, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Let's stop there again. Again, this might be uh, the most incredible part of the book of Joshua. A Gentile, a Canaanite, an enemy of God professing faith in the one true God. Uh, professing faith in Yahweh. Even more, she's the lowest of the low. Uh, in this culture, there, there would not be anyone more dismissed, a woman, a prostitute. And yet, the word of God has reached this woman and she knows what God is going to do. She knows who God is. She knows what he is going to do in her homeland. Now, we might read this passage, and uh, maybe our question is, do we really know that Rahab is expressing genuine faith? After all, she might be lying about uh, God and her faith just to get out of the mess that she finds herself in in many ways. I mean, she might just want to be saved, and so she's telling these men a story. Uh, but we can go, actually... To the New Testament, it's always great when the New Testament uh, interprets exactly what we need in the Old Testament. And we get that in a couple of places in the New Testament. One of them is in the book of James. James 2.25 speaks of Rahab's faith in God. And he speaks about it in the way that it's expressed in her works. And what are her works? That she protects these men. That she's kind to protect these spies. Genuine faith expressing itself in real works. And we also get it in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're familiar with Hebrews 11, this is what is often referred to as the hall of fame, the faith heroes of the Old Testament, of the Bible. She is in Hebrews 11, verse 31, which says that by faith, Rahab's life was spared because she welcomed these spies. This is genuine faith. This is God reaching down and ransoming a sinner, a Canaanite woman, and now she is one of his own. This is God keeping his promise. As we've talked about in, in this book, we're going to see God keeping all sorts of promises and then fulfilling them. And that he uh, has given a, an oath, a, a covenant with, no, with Abraham way back in Genesis 12 that he would make a people for himself, a nation, and eventually that nation would be a blessing to all nations. And the blessing has come to Rahab 
It's come to the nations. And we see it in the person of Rahab. She became a woman of truth, hope, and steadfastness because God's promises never fail. And then we see in this, uh, this little text that we just read, this passage, that uh, Rahab uses a couple of times this phrase, deal kindly. Do we, we hear that? Do we see it? She has dealt kindly with these men, and she wants them to deal kindly with her. Uh, the men in verse 14 affirm that. They say that they will deal kindly and faithfully with Rahab. Now, this phrase, deal kindly, Kindly in Hebrew is the word hesed. Hesed. If you are familiar at all with the Hebrew language or in the Old Testament, you might have heard that word before, hesed. It carries this idea of steadfast covenantal love. So Rahab is saying to the men, I have shown you steadfast love. Please show steadfast love. Please show hesed to me, to my family. And this hesed, this loving kindness, this request is a direct reflection of the heart of God. This is a direct reflection of the hesed that God has shown her. In fact, if we remember back in the book of Exodus, we've mentioned this a couple of times, that God himself describes himself as being the one who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding in hesed. The Lord deals kindly and faithfully with his own. The Lord has dealt kindly and faithfully with Rahab and with these two spies. He has Put his steadfast love and faithfulness on them. Now, Rahab, we see, is wanting some sort of sign. She asks for a sign that her house and her family would not be destroyed. And so let's see what they come up with beginning in verse 15. So we'll read verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. So that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. And hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your mother, your father, your mother, your brothers, and your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into, his, into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, that then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent him, them away and departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told them all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. 
So Rahab helps these spies. She's first helped them by hiding them, uh, and now she is giving them uh, some sort of an idea of how to make it back on the other side of the Jordan. And so we see that they hide in the hills for three days and then are back on the other side of the Jordan and return to their camp safely. And they tell her, tie this scarlet cord uh, outside your window so that that would be the sign that when we come back into the land, Israel's army will not destroy, destroy anyone who is inside of that home. Now, if we think about this story, we should be reminded of another time in the Old Testament. Maybe you already are putting the, the puzzle together, so to speak. Do you remember another time in the Old Testament where something was put outside of a home to protect that home from death? Do you remember the 10th plague in Egypt? It was for all the firstborns to be killed in the land, but Israel at that time in the Exodus was told, uh, put the blood of the lamb, put the blood of a Passover lamb on the doorpost and lentils of your home. Then the angel of death would pass over their homes and the, the destroyer was not allowed to enter those homes. So do you see it here? Do you see it here in Joshua 2? Joshua 2 is another Passover. Joshua 2 is a story of another Passover. It's a story of a Gentile Passover. Israel was saved by the blood of the lamb on the door, and Rahab and her family were saved by the scarlet cord in the window. What a time of worship this must have been for her and her family. To think about that every time she turned and looked at that window for the next several days and saw a scarlet cord hanging there, and she remembered the hesed, and she remembered the steadfast love of the Lord. In fact, we're going to see uh, in several weeks as we study Joshua chapter 6, that indeed when Israel goes into the land and when they uh, have devoted to destruction Jericho, Rahab and her family are indeed delivered. And can you imagine the joy and wonder in Rahab's heart knowing that she was saved by God? And in the same moment, can you imagine the temptation toward incredible shame when she recalled who she was before God set his love upon her. Can you think with her what that could be, how the enemy would surely want to tempt her over and over again and remind her, look at who you really are. This is who you really are. And yet, can you imagine the power of the forgiveness for a Gentile by Yahweh? Rahab had been delivered from death into life. She experienced her own Passover in an incredible way. Of course, uh, both the Israelites celebrating that first Passover in the book of Exodus and now Rahab through her Passover would only at best have a dim understanding that, that one day there would be a greater Passover there would be a greater Passover for all the people of God. God's hesed, God's steadfast love would be fully displayed when the blood of this lamb would be spread, not on a door, but on a cross. 
Even greater than a scarlet cord hanging in a window as a sign of deliverance would be the God-man hanging from a tree. Are you covered by this man's blood? That's a good question for us this morning. And I hope that the answer is yes. I hope with confidence as the Spirit moves in your heart that you can say, yes, I am covered by that man's blood. And so if you are, you are protected. You're protected from the destroyer. And you enjoy abundant life with Jesus now and forever. You are kept by his hesed, his steadfast love. Friends, God has dealt kindly and faithfully with you. Joshua 2 is actually a story of double deliverance. Uh, that's actually what I titled this sermon, Double Deliverance. And so what, I, what do I mean by that? Well, surely we see the deliverance of Rahab. So first we see the deliverance of Rahab. That is the main thrust of this entire story. We see her deliverance, her family. But notice the deliverance of the spies. And notice her role in that. Notice Rahab's role in the deliverance of the spies. Rahab, a Gentile prostitute, is now a righteous representative of the kingdom of God, standing between the kingdom of the enemy and the people of God. Do you see that? She stands between the king of Jericho and the spies. We said in chapter 1 that Jesus is the greater Joshua. He's the one that is leading his people into the promised land. But in this chapter, we see that Jesus is also the greater Rahab. He's the one that stands between his church and the kingdom of Satan and provides the ultimate hiding place in him. Jesus is our advocate He's our advocate, and he's right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he is praying for you and me right now, and he is asking the Father to protect us from the schemes of the enemy. He is our refuge. He is our hiding place. What an incredible story of a double deliverance here in Joshua chapter 2. The incredible grace of God to save Rahab reminds us that God's kingdom is and will be made up of the least likely saints. And so what I want to do for the rest of my time here in the message is to think about how the least likely make up the kingdom of God and how the least likely fight for the kingdom of God. So the least likely make up the kingdom of God and they fight for the kingdom Let's think about this together. I heard this week uh, some audio of Hal Jay. Some of you might know that name. Hal Jay is a longtime AM radio uh, host for WBAP here in Fort Worth. He's been on the air, I think, for something like 30 or 40 years. Uh, But he was calling into his own morning show this week because he was in the hospital. So he was calling into the show. He was live on air, uh, but from a hospital bed. And he announced that he was in the hospital waiting for a heart transplant. And he was telling the host that the doctors 
we're, we're really trying to help him kind of reconcile what this means and especially what it means psychologically. Uh, and, and so he was saying that his doctors asked him, how do you feel about someone dying so that you can live? How do you feel about someone dying so you can live? That'll preach right there, right? We could spend 30 more minutes. And how, how Jay said, he's almost 70 years old, by the way, so he's, he's an older man. He said, he insisted, actually, that if there was someone who would be a more likely candidate for a transplanted heart, who would be a more likely candidate for a transplanted heart, a 17-year-old, a 20-year-old, it would be easier to understand, wouldn't it? make more sense to us that someone young with their whole life ahead of them would get a heart. But someone at 70, it would seem one of the least likely candidates for new life after the death of another. Friends, the truth is we are all in that least likely category. We're all in the least likely category. We are all least likely to inherit the kingdom of God. That we would dare to think that any of us would be such a person. We're the least likely. We're all Rahab. We are all Rahab. Enemies of God. In sin. In rebellion. Doomed to destruction. When Jesus died for us that we might live. I think if we want to see anything in the story is that it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've come from. It doesn't matter what the devil is tempting you to believe, the lies about yourself. What the story shows is that we were all outsiders. We were all Rahab. We were all the least likely to inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, but God. We just read it and we heard Chris read it over us in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Listen to what Paul writes right after that. If we kept going, here's verses 11 through 13. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you who were Rahab, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Rahab's story is our story, friends. This is our story. If God is pleased to grow his family in such a radical way, we should ask the question, who is it in your life right now that you would put in this category of the least likely to be a part of the kingdom of God? Who is it right now in your life that you would say, this is the person who is least likely to inherit eternal life in Christ? For some of us, that person is not a prostitute. That could be someone who right now thinks they don't need God at all because they've got it all together. That person might be in the grips of moralism and is the one who's saying, all I need to do is 
be good, do good, be a good person. That's me. I'm good. Could be someone whose pattern is running from God and into drugs or sex or alcohol. It could be someone who even this week claimed that there is no God and has rejected the gospel all their life. They are the least likely, but they are the ones that God loves to save. Because I'm looking at a room full of us, the least likely. These are the ones that he loves to save, beloved. So may, may we be found faithful to pray for such people in our lives, to pray w- for them without ceasing, to share the gospel with them, and to watch the Holy Spirit do his work. The least likely make up the kingdom of God. The least likely also fight for the kingdom of God. Rahab switched sides. She proved herself disloyal to the king of Jericho, but loyal to the Lord. As I was studying this week, uh, one commentator I read uh, said it this way, which I just loved. He said, her confession of faith in Israel's God made her an Israelite, so to speak. She was, in effect, no longer a Canaanite. Her very identity had changed, and she became a significant voice of truth for the people of God. Today, uh, if you didn't know, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Sanctity of Life Sunday is traditionally uh, the Sunday set aside for the church to acknowledge that all life is to be celebrated and all life is to be preserved, starting with the life of the unborn. And so as we think about this Sunday, in particular this year, after uh, seeing uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and as we see that we are on the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, some of the most powerful voices in the fight against abortion today are former abortion providers. Former abortion providers who have since come to faith and are now pro-life. It's powerful. The least likely are now fighting for life. Like, like Rahab, we are called to fight for the kingdom of God. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we fight for the kingdom of God? Well, like Rahab, and we've talked about this already in the book of Joshua, we walk in repentance and faith. By the work of the Spirit, we are careful to do what God has commanded. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, we are strong and courageous in Christ. Do we want to know how significant it was that Rahab joined the winning side with God? We want to see just how incredible this story is. And just one picture of that is the fact that Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Jesus himself. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, she is King David's great-grandmother. This This prostitute, this Gentile prostitute, apart from the people of God, has been grafted in. She is the great-grandmother of King David, and she is the distant ancestor of the one who has fought Satan and won. And now we 
are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ because he has dealt kindly and faithfully with us. He has put his steadfast love on us, his hesed. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are stirred to worship an incredible story of how the least likely have inherited the kingdom. And there was no way for Rahab, there was no way for any of us to be able to do this on our own. We were utterly helpless. We were utterly lost in our sin. Rebels, not wanting anything to do with you. Not knowing anything of you. Blind. But God, you have come for us. You have opened our eyes. You have put the word in our heart. You have ransomed us and redeemed us from the pit. And so thank you for this story in your book. Thank you for the story of the true outsider, of the unwanted, of the least likely to know you, now knowing you, because you first know her. And you have set your hesed, your steadfast love. You have dealt kindly and faithfully with her, and you have dealt kindly and faithfully with us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that we are yours, that we are adopted children, that we are a part of this kingdom. The ones that we would never think would be a part of such a kingdom, and yet we are. And the ones that fight for your kingdom as we desire to walk in obedience according to your word. And where we fall short, I pray that you would help us. Remind us that you've given us the gift of repentance and faith that we could walk back to you. And that we can please you and do all that's according to your word because we are found in Jesus Christ. Our refuge, our hiding place. I pray that uh, anyone this morning who thinks that there is no way that they could be a part of this kingdom, that they are too dirty, that they are too far gone, that they have done too much, I pray that you would interrupt those lies and speak truth to them and remind them of your hesed. Remind them of what you are calling us all into in your kingdom. I pray that you would help us and resolve us to pray for others. Pray for those who we think right now are the least likely to become Christians. But we, we would share the gospel faithfully, even if it's for the millionth time that we know that it's nothing in our own words. This is your work, Holy Spirit. And would you be pleased to save? Would you be pleased to save more Rahabs? And may we just rejoice in seeing you grow your kingdom this way. What a beautiful thing it is. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful. We pray that you would continue to encourage us in our hearts as we are continuing our worship of you this morning. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.